Hey folks, Eric here. Before we get this episode started, I just wanted to let you know of a couple ways you can help the show out. Follow us on Twitter at TrekAboutShow, like us on Facebook by searching for TrekAbout on Facebook, and the best way to help the show out would be to review us on iTunes. Now let's get this show started. All right, so the entire time you've been telling me, don't worry, season two is the awkward phase, you know, it's going to get better, just wait till season three, right? Everyone says that. Yeah. And, you know... Let's say a contemporary viewer manages to stick through season two, stick through all of that, and figures, all right, season three, this is when it's going to finally be Star Trek. This is when it's going to be great, right? And we get Evolution, which is a Wesley episode where Wesley Dunn fucks up the shit. I would not have watched past this episode. Okay. Well, I think, uh, you know, honestly... You've said before that you probably would not have stuck to the show, uh, you know, past like the the second episode. Yeah. Um, so, so you saying that you wouldn't stick around past evolution is probably, I mean, okay. Uh, but since you wouldn't have been watching the show anyway, I don't think it really matters all that much. I would have been doing productive yeah, things. I, I would have made a financial empire at this point. I doubt that, but <laughs> I think evolution is an interesting episode. I don't okay. think it's a good one, but it's 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 funny to me because you know, number one, you know. We have to talk about the third season because the show really didn't have much of a hiatus between the second and third okay. season. You did say it was um, late, right? Yeah, they were they were in production, I believe, until sort of like late spring, early summer mm. of, of 1989. And so, you know, and, and, and Tracy Treme had left and Maurice Hurley had left at this point. So really there was no, I think, institutional memory lying around. Um, Melissa Snodgrass, I think was, uh, you know, she wrote the, the second episode we're going to talk about yeah, this week, yeah. the Anthons of Command, which I actually like a lot. I liked that episode. Um, and I think that, you know, she, she had been promoted, I think to some, you know, story editor or something. Um, and, and there was a guy around that was working as sort of like the producer, the, 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 you know, the showrunner for, I think the first five episodes of the third season. So, you know, the show had sort of like still not completely gelled, but it was it was sort of getting there. And, you know, it's funny because Evolution is written by Michael Piller. And that's a really important name in Star Trek because he becomes the showrunner a few episodes down the line. And he's the guy who really focused on making sure that the show became less about alien of the week or story of the week and more about the characters and, and how the, how the plot of any individual episode was, was, you know, affecting them. Um, I think you see that in instance of command, even though he hadn't been the showrunner at that point. And so, and, and he's also really important because, you know, he wrote the best of both worlds, which you know about, even though you probably have never seen it. Um, You know, and, and so it's, it's, it's weird because I think you can see a lot of his influence in evolution, even though I don't think it's a completely successful episode. Okay. See, like not even not completely successful. I really disliked the episode. I just, and I don't know, maybe it was just part of it was, I miss Pulaski now. I think that's, I think that's something that I have to come to terms with. Like I grew to like Pulaski a lot and you know, now Beverly's back. Yeah. And and I like how, that the sh- how do you feel about that? I mean, I like that the episode deals a little bit with that. I mean, putting Wesley dealing with his mother suddenly back in his life, that's kind of the stand in for us as viewers, you know, but, and, and but th- there is a degree where I wish they would have done that better because it's just kind of perfunctly treated. Yeah, but I think there, well, there's two things I want to say about that. Number one is I think, you know, 
be optimistic about that because yeah. I think Michael Pillar is Michael Pillar wrote this episode and I think or co-wrote it I believe I'm not sure which one and he added that of his own volition that was not something that anybody told him to do they weren't even going to mention the fact basically that Beverly Crusher was back so I think you know it, it it's as good as 80s television sort of gets with that kind of yeah, thing yeah that's fair um I don't think that they would have said anything about it at all if if she had come back, you know, in the second season. Yeah, there and and again, there are plenty of shows that do will change a character without really, you know, or alighting that or anything like that. So I think it's 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 funny because Evolution ostensibly is about Wesley and sort of his his misadventures with Nana Probes and this guy who is sort of a stand-in for Wesley as older and very arrogant and um we're not supposed to like Stubbs, I don't think, and I, I don't like him. Um but but I don't dislike him necessarily. Well, I think, you know, he suffers because I don't I don't like the performance the actor gives. It's I, Kelso it's, from Scrubs. Yeah, but I just feel like I don't know, he he has this sort of yeah. manic energy that is strangely muted at the same time, and I just I I don't Well, it's one of those where there doesn't really seem necessarily to to be continuity from scene to scene. And I mean he's he says yeah, at that feel, one point, like... it feels like, very disjointed, I think, is my problem with the episode. You know, there's a degree to which at one point he says, like, I really, I, I'm, you know, he says to Troy, like, I don't want you reading me. Like, I'll tell, if I want you to know what I'm feeling, you know, I'll tell you. And he is a very guarded person. He, And he is a very guarded person. He is the kind of person who is going to keep his feelings to himself. And that's fine. But it all, and to a degree, it would look like he's just randomly lashing out when this has been smoldering under the surface. But... I don't believe the f- performance that that's smoldering under the surface. You know what I mean? Yeah, he he suffers from being just you know a guest he, star of the week, and we don't yeah. really know where he comes from or what he is. And I think on a lot of a lot of what the episode rests on is whether or not you believe um, that he is Wesley from you know twenty or thirty years ago. And and part of the problem with that, of course, is that uh, Wesley hasn't gotten enough characterization in the previous two seasons for us to really have a sense of of him as a person necessarily he's a smart teenager right that's about it and and suddenly we're supposed to be invested in in wesley's future and his upbringing in a way and i i don't necessarily care i mean the episode doesn't do a good job to make me care and they've done that better in other episodes hell even in the uh binar episode i thought that you know the, the the that one scientist who is very arrogant and that's kind of when wesley's prodigyness is revealed and you know i thought that was very well like that is what wesley will turn into if he's just praised all the time and if he's not given something to work towards and if he's not challenged that wasn't the binar episode yes wasn't it no 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 not the binar episode the one with uh no one has gone before yes that one yeah it had the other weird Come space on, the, guy. One one zero zero one zero zero one was like 20 episodes later dude okay anyway that... i don't even think wesley was in it you're right. You're, that was that. You're was, bad at Star I'm Trek. I'm really bad at Star Trek. Anyway, the one episode where the computer people fixed the computer and they were to Wesley like, you know, oh, Wesley, you're a prodigy, but you can't tell him. Anyway, you know that episode. That, that was the warp drive, not the computer. My what? God, Richard, you are so bad at Star Trek. I am really bad. Well, how do you control the warp drive? Through the computer. Okay. Fair enough. The point is they have done this basic plot where, you know, this is someone who Wesley is going to turn into or this is, you know, Wesley needs some kind of guidance or, you know, Wesley is very smart and capable, but but he is still a teenager and he is still uh, unformed and he does need to be, you know, shown the right path. They've done that better. 
Yeah, they have done it better. And I think in a lot of ways, I think the show is almost sort of ignoring the character development that has gone into Wesley at this point, because I don't I you know, part of my problem with this episode is that I just don't buy the fact that he would not tell Picard what was going on. Like, you know, it's one thing to have him work really hard and pull it all nighter and, and, and fall asleep and, and have the nanites um, or the nanoprobes, as I think as they call them, uh, get get away. Um, but it's another thing entirely for Wesley to stalk around the ship with rat traps and and have Guinan catch him. And, and, and what the hell is he doing? I've run a clean place. Um, I thought that was strange. And then... I was like, do they have germs in space like that? It wouldn't, wouldn't like... I don't know. I, I I kind of figured that like there wouldn't be dirt like that would be like taken care of by the ship itself. I would I would assume so. Yeah. yeah. Um. There's a guy with a broom. I don't know. Uh. And and the other thing too is you know it just it doesn't it does not make any sense to me that he would not just go oh this is a problem I need to go to I mean maybe not Picard maybe Riker. he would tell Riker he would go to Riker Riker again yeah. is the older brother Riker is the one who I need to you know there have been mo- or Jordy even I mean Jordy may even be in more. A uh, 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 logical choice for him because well they are jo- sleeping together they are sleeping together and Jordy it would assume as the engineer would know a little bit more about nanites than you know Riker but like Data even why wouldn't he talk to Data who would you know know something about like yeah the, the fact that I get it's nice that he talks to his mother about this thematically on that plot that makes sense but again this is a kid who hasn't seen his mother for a while. He doesn't necessarily a hundred percent trust her yet, and oh, I wouldn't say he doesn't trust. No, her. no, not I, trust. I just, trust I isn't the right he, word, but he's not ready. He's, he's not really happy to have his mom around again. Yeah, is basically it. And you know, okay, fine. He's sixteen at this point, I think. But again, he's made other friends who would be very good at solving this problem or helping him solve this or go doing this it, the right it, matter. It just it makes Wesley incompetent in a way that we haven't seen Wesley be incompetent in a while. And I, I, you know, there, this is such a problem. I mean, this could destroy the ship basically that, you know, him waiting to tell people about this is, is undercutting his character to an alarming degree because I I don't, I, I just fundamentally do not, think that the character that was built up as as sketchy as he is in the first two seasons would, you know, through inaction, put the ship at risk like no this. wesley is fundamentally honest and he does do the right thing you know and he doesn't usually dawdle because of that right and the other thing about this episode is wesley doesn't fix it really in the end and i think that kind of you know it's nice that everybody fixes it in the way they do but this is wesley making a mess and then everyone else cleaning up after him i think in other times that wesley screwed things up he's helped to figure out how to get past it and i think that's an important I, at this point, Wesley needs to still be taught lessons, sure, and I think that's the show. Teach that would be the show teaching him 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 an important lesson that he fixes this. I think this gets him off that hook in a way that I don't like. Well, I think the yeah, uh, there's uh, there's a couple problems with that. I think number one is 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 just the fact that you're talking about episodic television, so there's really no way for them to deal with it. I think you know it would have been interesting if. Uh, this had been referenced again down the line, but as far as I know, it never really yeah. is. Um, the other problem I think no, with that the time you let those nanites across the ship, well, Mister, you've got to let your clean up your nanites this time. Yeah, it's not, yeah, whatever. You know, um, I don't necessarily have a problem with Wesley not being involved in the uh, you know solution because I think the the real point of the I think the real point of the plot is is 
is kind of to retcon Wesley in a weird way and, and to make him more of a teenager and to make him less competent than he is. Um, I, I don't, I, and I guess, you know, it, it really depends on whether or not you buy that. Well, maybe this, I mean, in a Cause lot- I, I don't know. I don't know that this version of Wesley would know how to fix the problem. No, I, I, yeah, I, but I mean, to be fair, the problem could have been written in a way that he could fix himself. Right, but I, I think, mean? Like, but I think that's the point. That's what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I, think okay, that, I think that's the point of writing it like this. You know, and, and saying it in this way, I'm thinking this episode in general is kind of a bridge because, I mean, if the if ends instance of command is a bit more representative of what season three becomes, then this is kind of. Setting up some stuff for the season proper, it is kind of between. It is still like a postscript to season two, almost. Yeah, I would say so, and I, I think you see that in in the sort of like strange editing of the episode. I think it feels kind of formless in a lot of ways. It feels kind of lifeless. Uh, you know, scenes just kind of start and stop for no real reason. Um, and I, you know, what I'm reminded of is is something like Times Squared or. Uh, Lonely Among Us or something like that. And I'm not saying that this episode is anywhere near as bad as those episodes, but it's just, it's still, uh, it's it's a show that is being made by people who still don't completely have it yet. And they'll get it and they'll get it really fast. But, you know, I think what you're seeing is, you know, okay, Michael Pillar, this was the first script he wrote for the show. Maybe he didn't have the characters completely down. Maybe this this is where he wanted them to go. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is he did get the job based on the strength of this script. What that says about the decision-making capabilities of Rick Berman, I don't know, but, but, you know, you could say, okay, well, Rick Berman is brilliant for bringing Michael Pillar I would Pillar say he in. saw potential in, I don't know. Well, the weird thing is, you know, there, there's this story that, um, Rick Berman really liked this episode because of the baseball stuff, because he's a big baseball fan. Oh and, God! I completely forgot about the base. No, not it didn't. It's not that I forgot about the baseball stuff. It's more along the lines of blanked it out of my mind. To well, it's it's it's, it's strange because you know we haven't talked about Stubbs a lot yet, but I I fundamentally have a problem with him because you know he's supposed to be sort of the the dark path, right? That that Wesley might go down, right? If you're you're this, you know. He's 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 dismissive. He's arrogant. He's very pretentious. Um, you know, he uses like German words that anybody with an eighth grade education knows, and yeah. and, and asks Wesley if he knows what the fuck wonder kind. And it's like, what? Of course he does. You Are know, you kidding me? Um, yeah. And and you know, so so I just find him to be like, we we know all this already. Like this this is not something that the show hasn't talked about before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Wesley is a savant level genius. If Wesley isn't given humility, if Wesley isn't trained and, and taught properly by the people around him, he's going to turn into an asshole. Yeah, we all know this. We've, right. se- we've seen Kaczynski before, yeah, yeah, so yeah. what is the point of this? You know, and there's also the bit where I like when, you know, Troy is talking and says, you know, he's, you know, very flippant, that's very practiced, you know, but his this is, you know, this is his life's work is waiting on this moment. I mean, to, you know, there is a degree where he's an asshole because he's about to crack. This is literally a, you know... The ship is falling apart, and it's going. He's his life's work is going to be destroyed 
through no fault of its own, just because some it turns out some punk kid left a science experiment to explode. And I do, you know, and I and I do have a problem with that because I think you know this is part of the problem I have with the performance of, yeah. of Stubbs because I think he should have been played more as a very emotionally fragile man who was masking his his and that's- fragility through through this sort of you know hard exterior and. Uh, it it just doesn't come across. Yeah, that's an interesting character. That's somebody who, yeah, he's freaking out. He kills these things just because of desperate... He needs to be very desperate through this whole episode, and he doesn't have that, you know? And yeah, it's a performance thing, I would say. He needs to go from, he needs to go from like, an 8 to a 2 back up to a 6, and he's just kind of at a 5 the whole episode. And yeah. that's, not, that's not really good. Like, people, he, people need to be... Uh, 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 I mean, I'm almost thinking of like a Joe Pesci and Goodfellas kind of thing. Like he's going to snap any second if you say the wrong thing because he's just so like insecure, you know, like, you know, that tightly wound. This is a very tightly wound spring, this guy. He's brilliant. He's legitimately brilliant. This work that he does, if he does it, will change the face of astrophysics. I mean, he is – I think he is that guy, but it's just – it's – yeah, he's not as deep of a – characterization as he should be and i also i also think a problem with this too is that you know the episode talks about how this is his life's work and it's going to change things forever and it's very important and blah 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 but i don't know why i don't know what they're doing i don't know why they're doing it i don't know what the implications well of that's this not are. the first time that star and trek's done that you know? i know but it's still a problem just be, yeah, you know fair. i mean i guess yeah i'm watching this i'm like i i i that's happened so often I can't e- I can't even find it a fault anymore. Like I just kind of – it's background. It's the – there are degrees where some of the setups of things are kind of MacGuffins, you know? No, they they are. I mean but all plots are sort of MacGuffins in a way. Yeah. Uh, they're just a way to, to get the characters where they need to be to, to, to do whatever the writer wants you to know. do with them. But what I got from it is I need to do thing. If I do not do thing at time, thing will not – will never be able to be done. That's That's as far as it needed to be for me. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, and then you get this sort of hard turn into home soil again with the nanites oh, yeah. becoming sentient and whatever. And it's like, um, I liked that stuff because I think it showed Picard's ability to be diplomatic and to figure out solutions. You know, Data gets a chance to shine by saying, well, I, you know, I don't know if this is actually going to work. I'm, I might die, basically, but I'm willing to try. Uh, and you know, it, it, it's kind of like, okay, Star Trek by the numbers, peaceful solutions, blah, 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 yeah. et cetera, et cetera. That's, but uh, yeah, that, that pull part was very standard and that's the Horda and that's, it's, I was fine with it. I liked this implementation better than in home soil personally, which, you know, was personal taste. It's no Horda scene, but it was probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah, and I, I think I think kind of the fundamental problem with this episode is is that you know it can play the notes but not the music really. It, it's 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 Star Trek, but it's not like it just doesn't it doesn't have any life to it yet. It's, well, like you know, Data and the violin, it doesn't necessarily have soul. And I guess finally, we should talk about Pulaski. Yeah, like they couldn't even. You know, Pulaski found a, an opportunity. I don't know. Like I, okay. So, so as far as I know, Pulaski is never even mentioned again mm. by name. Like never. She's she's just a non-entity in the what franchise. What happened? What do you mean? What happened? Like uh, I, I, I mean, Diana Mulder was 
fucking Gene Roddenberry's teenage son. Do you want to hear that? I mean, no, I'm kidding. But oh, oh, I mean, like you know, like uh, like uh, what's her name? Uh, Tasha Yar. What the hell is her actress's name? Denise Crosby. Denise Crosby. You know, was so dissatisfied with the show, and that's you know, she actively left. Like, why is I've never like that's that's one of the great mysteries about the next generation. Like, I've heard so many stories about why Gates McFadden left the show and I've heard so many stories about why Diana Mulder left the show and Gates yeah, McFadden like, returned. I, so it wasn't something simple like Gates McFadden like I don't know what to believe. Had a kid that year and wanted to be out no. and you know Diana Mulder agreed to do one season. No. You know? I mean I've I've heard a lot of things about you know they wanted to go in a different direction because they felt the show needed more life. I've heard that Gates McFadden was sexually harassed by a producer huh. and the show was not very good at that point so she was happy to be bought yeah. out of her contract. I don't know. I don't know what to believe. Um, I can I can understand why they got rid of Pulaski because I think the character. I don't think the character ever really worked. Um, no, but she, was, she was she was she was shifting a lot, and I I don't necessarily think that she she fit into the conception of the show as as Gene Roddenberry wanted it. Um, yeah, fair. So I, I don't necessarily. I'm not necessarily surprised but that they you, they did they they said okay, you know what? Thanks for the year, Diana Mulder, but we're going to go in a different direction. But as you said, there's you know that she's not the only character who hadn't completely been figured out, and I think they were starting to. Like I said, I hated her at the beginning of the season, but I think at, towards the end she was starting to come into her own, and I think another half a season and that she would have been part of that crew. They were trying to give her more relationships with the other crew members. I, uh, my, my own pet theory about it is that, you know, number one, Diana Mulder was not a regular cast member. Yeah. She, she, she was a special guest star, so she was easier to fire basically. Yeah. And again, maybe uh, she did agree to just do, the I don't think she well. had a contract. I don't think she had anything. She was just a, ba- a day player basically, even though yeah. she was, you know, uh, uh, people think of her as a main cast member, but she never was. Uh, so that number one, I think is, is, is a reason why she left. Um, I think the other reason is that, you know, Picard doesn't really have a lot of personal relationships with anybody else in the, in the, in the cast. Um, and I think that they, I think the writers wanted that for him. You know, they, they kind of were trying to do that with Picard and Pulaski a little bit. And they already had this character of Beverly Crusher who had this relationship in the past with him. Yeah. The bits with Pulaski were kind of just transferring that. That's, you know, it wasn't necessarily with her. It was more with the doctor. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was reading about this and, and Gene Roddenberry said that, you know, when, when they decided to get rid of the character of Pulaski, you know, they said, well, we could bring in a third actress to play a new doctor, but that's going to be ridiculous. Um, why don't we see if yeah? Gates then you McFadden have to put a new actress back. every season. Yeah, it's kind of going to become this running joke. Yeah, you know? she's the defense against the dark arts teacher, which could have been interesting. Well, I yeah, think if which... they had if they had designed it better, I think that would have been interesting. If they said, okay, you know what, every year we're just going to have a new doctor, yeah. and that's what the show is going to be like. You know, as it stands, I, I don't have a problem with them bringing back, you know, Beverly Crusher. I, I like the character, even yeah. though I don't like her hair right now. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's just one of those things I think that you just kind of have to go with. I don't they know. They just kind of hit undo, it feels like. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. There's still, like, yeah. And maybe really just each season they've tried to redo the show again. And I guess maybe this time they finally figure it out. Like, it seems... I mean, this episode seems very first pancake, but the first two seasons almost seem that way, too. You know, they're just not quite right. They're still working on it. We're going to get it, you know. 
We've got all the elements. We just haven't figured them out yet. Yeah. I'll give this one four nanoprobes. I was going to give it four nanoprobes. An episode that I won't give four nanoprobes, though, is The Entrance of Command, mm. which I think is a really good episode. I re- th- no, this was... I liked this episode very, very much. And, you know, if they had opened season three with this episode, it would have been a very different thing because this is this is a great episode. Interestingly enough, this was the first episode filmed for the third season. Yeah. Why didn't they just do this? You know, start it with a bang. The second one can be a little crap. I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, when I heard the title, I was worried it was about Ensign Wesley Crusher getting command. Oh, that would have been awful. I, and you see, so I saw the first episode, then I'm like, oh, fuck, it's all going to be Wesley episodes. Why is it called The Ensigns of Command? Uh, well, actually, uh, it's from a poem. Uh-huh. And uh, Ensign is not the rank, but a flag. That's the explanation. Okay. You got to ask Melinda Snodgrass. I, I don't know what to tell you. doesn't really make any more sense but okay it's supposed to be like how you show command I yeah, think, yeah, yeah is, yeah, is yeah, kind yeah, of the yeah, implication yeah. and the, and you know the whole episode is about data learning how That's to be a fair. commander so this episode is a really interesting one in light of measure of a man okay they're kind of companion pieces to right. each other um both dealing with data and how data who data is as a person and how data learns to be more himself not data in neither episode does data learn to be human but he learns to be accepted on his terms and to use his strengths and to learn a bit more about how to use those strengths, I would say. And yet also understanding his weaknesses in, in a bit. I mean, at the end of the episode, they do kind of imply that Data's lack of humanity, lack of feelings is an issue. I don't know that I would agree with that, but... Uh, what I find interesting about... Well, it's an issue for the people who work with him. It's not an issue for Data. I don't think... I mean, Data doesn't really seem to care either way. He's more worried about his own effectiveness than anything else. I mean, I I guess, but I think, you know, that that reflects more on the people he works with than on Data, if yeah, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean. Oh, yeah. Which... In, in the same way that, that people got really... You know, McCoy used to get really frustrated with Spock, and it's like, well, that's not really your problem. It's 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 your problem, McCoy. It's not Spock's problem. Do you know uh, what no. I mean? No, well, I mean, that I, I that very last shot at the end with Picard, and maybe, I know, this is a, maybe a strange place to start, but at the very end when he's talking to... And saying, oh, your violin solo, like, you did, you know, use your creativity and, you know, you did figure. And obviously he's talking about the mission as well, but he's talking about, you know, Data too. And Data leaves and just Picard just gets this look on his face. And because on the one hand, Picard said that entire thing for himself. He didn't really say it for Data. Data doesn't really seem to care either way. I would disagree with that. I, I don't think Picard is saying that for himself at all, and I don't think that Picard is someone who who we've ever seen do that kind of thing. I, I, Picard doesn't need to really convince himself of things like that. I think he's telling Data what he thinks Data needs to hear, and I and I think Data is, you know, the problem the problem with the character of Data, of course, is that uh, he's he's a he's a difficult uh, he's a difficult character, I think, to 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 portray just because he doesn't have a lot of the signifiers of understanding that, that, that a human character would have, or or even a humanoid character, I guess. And so Brent Spiner definitely, I think, you know, going into the third season, he's hit on a characterization of data, which is very understated. And I think you see that a lot in this episode where um, you really, I think have to watch 
the character. I think, and and the funny thing is, you know, I think the HD versions actually help this because you can actually kind of make out small facial expressions and things like that more so than you can in the SD version, which, you know, it's funny because I haven't really, you know, we haven't really talked about the HD versus the SD issue, but I I think that does factor into it somehow. There was one episode, I'm trying to remember what it was in particular where, um, no, no, it was just how we were talking about Pulaski. Um, because I thought she was a lot younger than she was. And then I saw the HD version. Um, yeah, you know, she did look about 10 years difference. Um, from there. Um, I mean, I noticed during so well. Let's talk about the the first time when the woman kisses Data, because in the SD ver, in the regular version, I saw. I mean, he's really looking confused and you know almost like what the hell on this. You know, it was I don't know. I liked his expression there. Um, I don't know. Data and emotions. It's a very, it's a topic I'm interested in, but I still don't know where to go with it. Yeah, I mean, you know. I think this may be the first episode where he explicitly says he doesn't have them. But is he saying that? or I mean, because at this point, I wonder if he's earned emotions and he's just used to saying he has no emotions. Data doesn't have emotions. I'm sorry, he doesn't. Like, he just... It, it, you, you have to accept that. Because the show keeps telling you it. It's true. It's just a... It's, it's a fact of the show. Um, you you can we have to define emotion, don't we? No, trust me, he he doesn't. I, yeah, he do, he doesn't. He doesn't. There's well, a, then what? There, and there's a very very in universe canon explanation for this, which will come much later. No, no, no. Yeah, well, I I'm saying like, oh God, we have to define emotions to figure out what he doesn't have. And I don't necessarily want to get into a long discussion about whether Data doesn't not have emotions because yeah, who yeah. the hell cares? But um, what what I do think is interesting about this episode is that. Uh, you know, in the same way that Picard realizes that 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 data is, um, you know, I think I think it's funny because this episode, I think, kind of almost portrays data as someone who I think he's he, he sort of sucks up a lot of what people say about him and he's very insecure I think Data is insecure. He's he's and see how can you tell me he's insecure and then t- in the same breath that you tell me he has no emotions, I, like that's that's you know because I agree with that. I agree that I mean we we just saw two episodes well, ago. Data lost a game of Stratagema and he was going on. You know, he was here's the problem out. with the Data has emotions thing. The show and the writers have a very clear idea, like a, a very clear idea of what a character having emotions means and data does not get angry. Data does not get sad. Data doesn't get happy data. It doesn't laugh. These are what they think emotions are. So like these sort of like other emotions, emotions like yeah. jealousy and security, you know, embarrassment, these kind of things. I would argue that data probably does feel those things at least to some degree, but the show defines data having emotions as, you know, data doesn't cry data doesn't laugh like these are the you know and so it's a it's a very i think i think it's a very adolescent understanding of what emotions are so Um, in other words you and i hear a joke everything you know turns a little brighter and you know we're laughing and we're having a great time and you have that a physical feeling of you know so so for emotion is the physical feeling of that rather than the i mean because i would agree with that yeah 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 yeah. well 
And so what I think and really that's interesting. is that so because he, he got, kind of does have the data intellectual experience of all of those emotions. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Data data understands the intellectual side of emotions, but he doesn't he doesn't feel them. He doesn't have the physiological responses. And so so what I mean by insecurity is that he's yeah. sort of, you know, what whatever that means for data, I think he does feel insecure. I think he 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 believes his own uh, you know hype basically right where where people are saying well you're not creative data you're just a guy who is copying other people and you don't really understand the nuances of playing the violin and blah 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 and you know in the same way that he is i think this episode is all about him in a situation where he's cut off from everybody that he knows and he has to come up with a solution that is going to save these people. And he refuses to, he refuses to listen to them. And I think he refuses to listen to the naysayers for the first time, probably in his life. And he finds power in that. And he finds that he's able to synthesize new information and he's able to come up with a creative quote unquote solution to the problem that helps him become someone who people may respect more yeah i mean i i think about this this episode and the stratagema subplot are very related i would say i i don't think they're it is because they are very similar in that data is given a situation that he can't solve that and he kind of redefines the terms of what that what the solution is because in this one the entire time he's worried about well how do i save these people how do i save these people and I think when he realizes that the aqueduct is going to be destroyed no matter what. I mean, his mission was never to save the city. The city was fucked. And, you know, I love that moment when he stuns, you know, when the fact that Data is not human and maybe doesn't does or does not feel emotions, he is able to dispassionately, well, I can stun these people. They're going to die if I don't do this, you know. I can destroy this aqueduct. They're going to, you know, a human might not have done that. A human, you know, Riker would never have been able to bring himself to yeah. stun an stun an innocent person, you know, even knowing that well, it's not really going to hurt them; it's just going to cause them some moderate discomfort, and they'll be fine. Yeah, and I guess so. I guess you know when for data creativity involves figuring out what he as an android can do that is different, and in what areas that's not a weakness, but that is a strength. Because, I mean, in some ways, Data may not, you know, Data may not be able to handle a diplomatic conversation as well as, you know, Troy could because he can't figure out the nuances of that. Um, And yet, I don't know. (laughs) I'm not sure where this is necessarily going then. I don't know. Why don't you tell me? Well, I'm kind of lost on it (sighs) well let's move aside from data for a minute and and let's talk about the colonists and let's talk about goshevin in particular because in the same way that dr paul stubbs is supposed to be an asshole i think goshevin is supposed to be an asshole but my problem with my problem with that he he's a blowhard well well, He's, he's not yeah he's he has a lot of power in his community he is but why like that's what I don't get. Like it just it seems. Who knows? We don't see what he's like on a day to day. Maybe I mean 
put it this way. I doubt there's really much in the way of conflict in this town. It is a relatively— Oh, yeah, because small groups of people never have conflicts. No, no, but I mean the conflicts that they have are probably— because this is the kind of place where I'd assume everybody knows everybody. He's the one who's in charge, so they go to him and he arbitrates. I mean, that's probably— I don't know, I don't know that I would necessarily agree with that. I mean, this is a town of 15,000 people. That's a lot of people. I, I don't I don't think that— They also have a very common origin. They are dealing in a place that's very newly prosperous. They really—this is really one of the first generations of this town, of this society that's— not really dealing with, all right, how do we survive to the next day? So, I mean, I don't... Yeah, and that's why I think that they would probably have more conflicts than in the past, because you're looking at a society which is reaching a point where you can't know everybody, and people probably don't know everybody, because you just... I mean, it, it's it's just... Well, a, may... It's a fact of sociology that you you people don't know everybody in a town yeah, of 15,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, you well, probably know their family name, you probably know some of their relatives, but you may not know them particularly. Well, it depends and on, I, think... I guess, how close this colony is. I mean, I, I would say, you know, maybe in 10 years we would be in a bit more of a chaotic situation. Maybe now where it's still a little okay. I don't know. I think it's one of those things where, you know, the, 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 the televisionness of the town yeah. works against it because we're told that there's so many people here, but we only see like one square and 20 people. They have a town meeting and there's a dozen. Yeah. Right. So um, I think that's, that's, that's a little problematic, but either way, what, what I find, what I just, I don't like Goshevin. I don't know if I'm supposed to like him or not. Again, I think that, it it could just be due to the choices that the actor made because he does come across as an unmitigated blowhard who doesn't want to listen to anybody. And I fundamentally do not understand why everybody respects him so much because he doesn't seem capable of the nuances that, that, you know, being someone, a leader of a town like that would require. See, I disagree with that. I, but I, but he didn't come across to me as a complete asshole. See what I thought, from his perspective, he's. I don't. Well, asshole's well, not a good word. But you know, like from his perspective, he is the leader of this town. Maybe he is. Let's say he's well respect. Let's say he ca- we caught him on a bad day. Let's say during a good day, he's just really friendly and really smart, and everyone just likes him. You know, he's. Let's let's say that for the sake of argument, this guy comes dis an android comes down to his planet and says, "Oh, randomly, you know, someone else owns this planet. They're all gonna kill you. You know, better get out." You know, for him, he sees this as, you know, he's as his great-grandfather built this aqueduct. You know, he's heard these stories from his father and his grandfather, we'll assume. Um, This is still something that he's very close to. He identifies very much with this. This is a pioneer spirit. He has the land that his is his relatives fought and died to build. And in a way, he's the custodian of this place. So I think he genuinely wants to protect this town. And I think he's doing a good job. It's very clean. Yes. It's, it's wonderful. Um, it, this is, I don't know. I picture it like a pioneer village, like, you know, and they're going to say, well, the Indians are going to come and run no, off your I, land. Like that's kind of what this episode no, was I, to me. No, I don't, I don't disagree with you. I, I don't have a problem with that at all. And I think it makes a lot of sense that these people would want to stay. I mean, this is their home. They, yeah. you know, their, their, their ancestors worked very hard to make sure that they could survive here. Uh, it doesn't seem to be a very hospitable area of the planet that they're living on. It's it's a desert. I mean, yeah. you know, um, but it seems like they're making a a, a, a go of it. Yeah. And you know, you mean Goshen himself? You rather than his role, I guess. Yeah, I I just That's fair. I I don't I don't I understand his role in the in the in the town completely. I just don't like. Goshen. Okay, and that's fair. You know, I mean, and maybe that's just the kind of person that 
would need to be in that position. I don't know, right? Because I'm sure that, you know, while life is easier, I'm sure it's not easy. You know, he comes across like every small town mayor in every Stephen King book. You know, that's kind of what he reminded me of. Yeah, or like a union organizer. Yeah, like he's just kind of like... He doesn't have a lot of subtlety and he doesn't have a lot of, um, you know, he has a lot of bravado, I think, maybe because he needs to. I guess it's kind of what it comes down to. And to to. a degree, two people come and they say, you know, we have a problem, you know, what should we do? And, you know, his word kind of does need to be law because, you know, again, they probably are still in an arbitration kind of system. You know, they probably haven't had the time to get up a full formal court system. It, it, the the 15,000 people on the entire planet, yeah, this is the part where they really do have to address this soon. But yeah. this wasn't the priority, you know. Yeah, and I mean, I guess if you think about it in terms of what they said, it was about 90 years. Yeah. Um, that's probably what, like four or five generations. So He you're says look- great-grandfather was the, yeah, so about So that. you're looking at probably like, a, you know, what, like a thousand, two thousand original colonists. Yeah. I guess it makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I think it's just where it's, it, it, if it's not, it's, it, this town doesn't feel like it's quite at the point where it's big enough to have a society. It's still a clan in a way almost that's breaking up into I think that's where at this point. If they don't have political parties yet, they will very soon. Yeah, yeah. There's going know? to be another family that decides it's ready to take power soon. You know? And I guess, you know, the other the other thing that, that's feeding into all of this is that this is a, uh, a relatively homogenous community. They're all human. Yeah. Um, they, they haven't had any contact with, with the Federation or another planet or, or anything for, for, you know, since they crash landed there. Nobody knew they were there. Um, they haven't had any experience with uh aliens right i yeah. mean they probably know about aliens certainly you know vulcans and they know Andorians their history and yeah. and all you know they know about all the federation aliens and probably they know about klingons and romulans and etc yeah, etc yeah. et but in in a very abstract way because nobody living has seen any of them and so they have no experience dealing with the alien mind and and here we're encountering an alien species uh, I think probably for one of the first times in, in Star Trek history, you know, the Horta notwithstanding, which is uh, non-humanoid and, oh, yeah. you know, is ostensibly saying, look, you know, one of the one of the uh, one of the one of the other, you know, sort of like through lines of this episode is how um, it's it's hard to, to make people understand you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Data has a problem making the townspeople understand what he's saying. The townspeople have problems making data understand what they're saying. Um, and the Sheliak and the Federation are having this problem as well. And yeah. so, you know, I, I can understand how the townspeople perhaps would not think that this would be a problem because they're thinking, oh, well, um, you know, wh- you know, why would these aliens do this? And, and, even and they don't degree, and they don't have any experience with it to a degree. I mean, it's really not until data actually demonstrates the power and goes and say, I mean, really, I think the thing he says finally that gets to a lot of the people is you know they're going to attack from orbit you're not going to even see them yeah i mean they've dealt with probably wild animals they've dealt with dehydration they've dealt with storms they've dealt with cold they've dealt with things that they can see or sense or palpably deal with and they where they know you know this is just a beam's going to blow everything up i mean they don't even it's so uh, to a degree, they may, you know... They've probably never seen a phaser. I yeah, mean, they, Go, Go, Goshen or whatever his name is probably thinks, again, it's going to be a raving band of people who are just going to come with clubs and phasers, and we can do that. That's easy. What? There's 15,000 of them. How many could they possibly bring, you know? I, 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 he, I, if, if anything, he's naive, and I think yeah. the episode... 
kind of makes that clear that, you know, he may mean well, but he may think like, well, we've, we've dealt with things before. This is what was, what's going to kill us, a bunch of aliens that we can't even see? Yeah, right. Um, yeah, that's a good point, yeah. But I love that scene when uh, Troy is in, you know, Picard's quarters with, like, where she yells up the cup. And, yeah, I thought it was funny because, you know, when she said the word, you know, what does that mean? Like, my thought was tea. And she says, you know, it could be glass, it could be cup, it could be clear, it could be, you know. I think it's interesting. It could, it could be, I'm going to throw this in your face. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, and and that's the, it, it was a very good way of illustrating. Could be point. like, are you thirsty? Yeah. It could be a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, it could be hold it. Yeah, anyway. Um, I like when episodes show a problem so complex that they have to have three different angles of dealing with it. And I think that was, that's kind of what's good here because Data not only has to deal with all of this, you know, Picard and and Troy are mostly dealing with how do we figure out this legal stuff again. Uh, Melinda Snodgrass and legal uh, legality may, having a part in the yeah, she does that very well. Yeah, I would say that that was very you know that. And meanwhile, you also have um, Jordy and O'Brien trying to figure out the transporter, just kind of as another backup, and they're trying to get Starfleet involved, and it makes this problem seem very complex, which is it is and. So that because all three plots are based around it. You, yeah, you get the sense. I mean, you know, it, it's 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 really interesting that I think Star Trek is able to do this because I think it's something that's very difficult to do. And a lot of shows yeah. don't really pull it off well. But we've never heard of the Shelley Act before. We've never seen them before. But I think we get a good sense of what, you know, what kind of race they are. And they also you know, we get a sense of what it's justified why we haven't heard from them. Right. And and I, I think, you know, they establish the Sheliak in a way that that makes sense very quickly and also puts them in opposition to the Federation and Picard, uh, not because they're evil and not because they're, you know, although, you know, you could argue whether or not... Um, yeah, they're they're a little bit perhaps fascist, uh, you know, the whole thing about lower life forms. And oh, whatnot. I mean, definitely, um, you know, but but the fact of the matter is they they are reasonable to some degree. And I, I, I like the fact that Picard is able to use their yeah. own reticence against them. Um, and I also like the fact that you get to see what Patrick Stewart does with good material, because I don't yeah. think he's had a lot of good material before. <laughs> and, you know. I could listen to him say, then I declared this treaty in abeyance over and over again on a loop for about a year. Yeah. I mean, it's just a great line reading. And, you know, his little thing, you know, his little, uh, uh, he walks over to the, oh, the plaque. Because the, se- yeah, like, the second they call back, he realizes he's won. And this is him enjoying himself. We rarely see him enjoy himself and stretch out the moment like that. He doesn't need to do that. He's doing it to feel satisfied with himself because yeah. he wants to gl- he wants to gloat for a second. Yeah, we don't we don't get yeah. to see Picard indulge in that very often, but I like that he does. This was and a really tough one, and he deserves it. Yeah, you know, uh, I just you know, he's he's just it's 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 nice to see the character you know, develop in that way where he's having a little bit of fun. And I also, and I think what I love best about it is he doesn't show on his face that he's having fun. Like you can right. imagine exactly what he's thinking during that entire time. But he, you know, Riker would be bursting out laughing, you know, anybody, you know, he's just very calmly dusting a plaque. Like he's, 
And, you know, he's not reacting. They're all looking at him, and he's ignoring them. He's just, it's, it's, there is nobody but Picard in that world right at that moment, and I think he's really loves that. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, it's funny because, you know, I would doubt that that was in the script. I mean, I would assume that that's something that Patrick Stewart did to, you know, sort of the script probably said just like, oh, well, Picard stalls or whatever, yeah. you know, and, and, and he kind of, like, comes up with a way to, to clearly indicate that Picard is... Doesn't have a care in the world yeah. at this point. He's just like enjoying himself. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's just details. He's one. And I think it's interesting, you know, how I think the show was really lucky in getting Patrick Stewart to stick around because oh, yeah. he wanted, to, you know, he was, he was, he wanted to leave. He did. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I forget exactly how he got talked into staying, but I don't know if he ever really seriously considered leaving or not. But, um, you know, it, it's just kind of like amazing that uh, at this point in the show, uh, with really good material, um, and this isn't even as good as the show gets. I mean, this is probably the the, the best of the show, you know, one of the best of the show so far. But yeah. um, it's it's just nice to see that that he's able to do really good stuff with good material, and 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 I'm excited to see what happens next. Even though I've seen it already, and I guess finally I should ask you. Yes. What do you think about the new uniforms? There are new uniforms. Oh my god! Seven aqueducts. Okay, I'll give it eight. Okay. Well, next week, we're going to be talking about The Survivors and Who Watches the Watchers. Oh, that was by Alan Moore, right? So join us then.